Blog Talk Radio. What is up, Big Blue Nation? How's everybody doing on this Wednesday, the middle of December? Hope everybody's well. Good party here. The cats talk. Big Terry. We'll have another good show for everybody. Uh, want to get at us? Like to interact with us? As usual, you can tweet us at Cat Talk School, Cat Talk Wednesday, at Benny Hardy, at T Brown underscore A. Got the Facebook page, Cats Talk WDE. So you can get us there. All kinds of ways where you can talk at us. The phone number for the show tonight is 845 277 Press 1. That gets you in the host queue. Pops your number right up there on the screen. Let us know that you want to talk to us, and we'll get right to you uh, and have your questions, comments, whatever it is you want to bring to the show. My man, TB, it's come down with a little bit of the illness. He's a little bit under the weather, so uh, we definitely hope he gets to feeling better. If you want to tweet a little note to TB, at T-Brown underscore 80, because he's not going to be able to join us tonight. We definitely hope TB is back and going strong. Uh, sooner much rather than later, we definitely hate to hear that TB is a little bit ill tonight. Uh, we have three guests scheduled for tonight's show. Uh, first, coming up here in about nine minutes, we have Chris Kawa. He's an author of the book, the legend of Joe Golfer, a salute to the regular player. So, yes, we're going to talk a little bit of golf tonight on Cat Talk with Vinny and Terry. Hadn't got into as much golf since we've been doing the shows. we got some fans out there, some listeners who uh, are active golfers, are big fans of golf. Our number one fan, Michelle, uh, is a big-time golf fan, so... Hope you'll be able to listen and, and see what Chris Conway is talking about. He'll be coming to us from Toronto, uh, so it'll be fun hearing what he brings to the show. We can talk about his book and get into all of that. Our second guest at 645 will be making his second appearance on the show. Uh, he joined us over the summer. Uh, we all know him well, especially in the state of Kentucky. Fans near, far, and everywhere are familiar with this gentleman, and it's none other than Cameron Mills. Hit the shot heard around the world in 1998 to help Kentucky beat Duke and advance to the 1998 National Championship. Cameron's going to join us because we're going to talk a little bit about Louisville coming up. We don't want to look past UCLA. We'll talk about the state of the team as a whole. Uh, look forward to Louisville coming up in 10 days. Uh, so we'll get Cameron's insights. He played the game. He's a Wildcat. He wore the jersey. So we look forward to hearing what Cameron has to say. Our final guest will be on at 7.15. It's Terry Hansen from the John Boy and Billy Big Show. He's a sports and media consultant there. He's done everything there is to do in the world of sports. Uh, he's on the Big Show Monday through Saturday, uh, 6 to 10 a.m. He's a, a huge fan of all sports. He's done work with the PGA, worked with Ted Turner and TBS. Uh, big St. Louis Cardinals fan, big baseball fan. So he also had something to do with the dream game. So it is Kentucky and Louisville coming up in 10 days. 
uh, had some a hand in getting that back going back in 1983 when Kentucky and Louisville renewed the rivalry on the hardwood for the first time. So we look forward to hearing Terry at 715. So as we mentioned, 845-277-9373 is the number uh, to get in contact with us tonight. I hit one, and that'll put you in the host queue. Uh, I was a little bit hoarse last week. Actually, I was a lot hoarse. Uh, still got a little bit of a frog in the throat, but um, sounding a little bit better. Just like I mentioned last week, I was never and will never be James Earl Jones, Barry White, or Michael Buffer in the pipes vocal cord department. But nice to have a little bit more voice tonight than I had last week. We're looking forward to having a fun show. Appreciate you listening. Wherever you may be listening, we appreciate you checking us out. Tweeting us at Cats Talk Wednesday. Like I mentioned, the Facebook page, Cats Talk Wednesday as well. My personal Twitter, at Vinny Hardy. Uh, you can get in touch with us in all those different ways. We'll look back, of course, at Kentucky's win over North Carolina. The Tar Heels came to Rupp Arena. Uh, the Blue Blood rivalry. Kentucky never trailed and looked rather impressive as they finished off the Star Hills. Uh, the three-point shot was a little bit more uh, visible this past Saturday. It was good to see some threes go down because there had been a little bit of a slump that the old team was going through, so it was good to see them see some shots fall, and it just opened up everything, and they were able to, to look rather impressive in taking care of North Carolina. We have a number on the line. Let's see if that is Mr. Caller. Chris is on here with us. Let's see if we have the author of The Legend of Joe Golfer, a salute to the regular player, Chris Caller. Chris, is that you? Yes, it is. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show. You're on Cat Talk with Vinny and Terry. Oh, man, Terry's under the weather, but we are glad to have you tonight, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You, you sound a little uh, hoarse in the throat, though. Yes, and and like I was saying, you, you should have heard it last week. I'm, I'm better. Uh, last week, was, <laughs> it was comical. Uh, my wife and kids, they were cracking up. My little, I got two little boys, six and two. And, you know, Dad looked same, but he sounded a little bit squeaky and high-pitched, so they were just laughing and getting a big kick out of me. sounded real funny. So, <laughs> believe it or not, this is an improvement. <laughs> I sound better this week. Well, that's well, good. That's you're, you're sounding better, and, and I'm I'm just uh, thrilled to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Uh, we appreciate you uh, reaching out uh, to be on with us, and I'll go ahead right now and, and plug RadioGuestList.com is a little service that uh, Terry and I filled out, put our show out there, and said, hey, we'd like to have guests, uh, media, coaches, players, you know, throughout the world of sports. If you'd like to come on, we filled out a little form. Got an email from you and Ryan Simpson talking about wanting to come on. So we appreciate you guys sending us the email. Appreciate Radio Guest List for doing what they do. And here we are, you or gracious enough to come on our show, Mr. Cole, and we're going to talk about your book and talk some golf and, and got all kinds of good stuff coming up here in the next few minutes. That sounds great. Looking forward to it. 
how did I guess? Well, first of all, you're coming to us. I, I mentioned this introduction. You're coming to us from Toronto, Canada. Um, That's right, Raptors land. Yeah, and they're looking good this year, right? Yeah, we the North. Uh, they, they they look like uh, they got a, an excellent shot to make a nice playoff run, and uh, with a little bit of momentum, who knows what can happen? Yeah, for sure, and uh, and of course. Terry and I are, are Kentucky fans. We both agree on UK. We're both Kentuckians. We got different NFL, NBA teams, and things of that nature. We always see it on UK first, and then touch on NFL, MLB, and all that. Toronto is is kind of UK heavy. You got Dwayne Casey coaching. Patrick Patterson's there. Uh, Chuck Hayes is there. You got a lot of UK guys up there right now on the squad. Yeah, no, we're doing we're doing really good. We got a good uh, good uh, collection of pieces on the team and a uh, great bench which is really key to to winning games as you know uh you know in the in the last uh, two two quarters of the game. Uh you've got to have people coming off the bench and producing and uh and they've they've done a you know a really uh, good job uh, overall. Um we're a, we're a golf crazy nation as well. Uh we don't just play hockey up here. We uh we have the largest uh, recreational. We, we there are more golfers that play golf recreationally per capita than anywhere in the world, if you can believe that, right here in Canada. Wow. And uh, we've okay. got uh, we've got uh, uh, thousands of golf courses all across this beautiful country, and uh, we've got players coming uh, through the PGA ranks, through the college ranks. Um, and, you know, just millions of recreational players. There's about 60 to 70 million recreational players around the world, uh, worldwide. And uh, when I was uh, playing myself, when I started out playing at the age of 40, um, I started um, uh, halfway through my journey, I started thinking of this book, thinking of how great a book it would be, uh, simply because golf is one of the only sports that I can think of where, you know, people get together and, and shoot stories back and forth. You know, oh, I hit this shot or I hit a shot off the tree and it went off the clubhouse and ended up on the green. And, man, I reached the green from 250 yards. Uh, what a shot. And and so I, I just thought that uh, there were no golf books out on the market uh, um, that were written by regular players for regular players. Uh, of course, the books are written by pros about the pro tour and they're written by certified coaches for uh you know very uh very complicated swing theories for players that are really advanced players but there really wasn't too many books out there uh written for regular players about the you know the trials and tribulations the ups and downs that we go through on a golf course and so i decided uh that I, that you know it was a great uh, great idea to write the book for for all the joe and jane golfers out there and and basically uh through through my story and through the characters that I introduce in my story, uh, I'm sure that most people can uh, uh, connect connect to these stories and relate with uh, with uh, with the characters in the story as well. And you say that you started playing the game of golf at age 40. Is that when that's when you began? Yeah, because I played tennis for thirty years prior to that. I was more into the you know action sports, and you know when I was a, a cocky teenager, I didn't think golf was really an exciting sport. I thought it was an old man's game, a rich man's game. That was sort of the uh, the perception that golf had back in those days, back in the late sixties, early seventies. 
And, uh, you know, they didn't have the fancy equipment where you can drive the ball a mile with, uh, with you know, with these state-of-the-art clubs and, you know, balls that go, you know, you hit them and they're, it looks like hitting, hitting bullets off the tee. Uh, you know, the, the, the equipment was uh, archaic, ancient, to say the least, you know. And uh, so there wasn't a whole lot of interest. It was starting to percolate back in those days, but I was more of an action sports. I was into tennis. I was into basketball. I was into soccer, I was into baseball, uh, I swam a lot, uh, cycled, you know, I wanted, I wanted to get a, you know, a, a big workout as a, as, a, a, as a younger athlete, and golf really just didn't do it for me, but then when I realized at the age 40, I blew out my two knees, and I had arthroscopic surgery on both of my knees, I, I needed to play a lifetime sport that I can enjoy for the rest of my life, and you know, I can't see myself on the gridiron at 70, 75 years of age or, or uh, you know, doing a layup at uh, 75 years of age and playing a pickup basketball game at that age. Uh, so I think golf really is the, the, the only uh, sport that I can think of that you can really participate until, you know, you're in your 80s, even in your 90s if you look after yourself. And to me, as long as you can stand up and you're vertical and you can swing without falling over, you can play. That is true, and what you said kind of uh, kind of gives me some hope. Now I'm I'm 37. I've played, but I'm very green. I would say I've probably not played 100, 150 holes in my life, um, and I, I didn't have the it's an old man game attitude. But I am the type, you know, I I go out try to play basketball and that and things of that nature. Uh, but I also got two small boys now as well, six and two. So, you know, you're busy doing that. Occasionally, I will get to a driving range. I think it's been a year and a half or so I played uh, played around with my uncle. Uh, we were all back home in Kentucky, kind of like for yeah. time to get together. Um, so the book, you know, The Legend of Joe Goffer, A Salute to the Regular Player, well, that that can still provide hope for people that don't play regular or regular Joes that play all the time. Does it kind of cover that whole gamut? It's a mixture of both, but but basically, regardless of what level you play recreationally, uh, we all have the same problem. How can we enjoy the game from the time we start playing on the course till the time you know we're we're approaching our last holes and still? and still enjoy the game without really getting so mad at our game that we, we just lose our cool. And at the same time, how can we improve our game in the shortest amount of time? And if you can solve those two challenges, you're going to love the game. You're going you're gonna to improve your game along the way. This isn't really a, a, a fundamental skills book. That's the second book that I've written that's a sequel to this book. This is more of a story-based uh, book, but I do have a lot of good tips and suggestions along the way. It's not a how-to book, but you're going to get all the tips and suggestions in story form. I tell them in story scenarios, and you're going to get sand tips. You're going to get hitting off the tee. You're going to get club selection tips. You're going to get preparation. When you go to the course, how would you prepare to play? I recommend a 30-minute shot warm-up that I talk about in the book. And so it, the book is like a portable caddy that you can take around with you at all times, either when you're going to the course or the driving range or the practice field and you're working on your game, you can have the book right beside you and, and the book could be helping you out in that regard. That is 
That is really interesting. We're talking with Chris Kawa, author of The Legend of Joe Golfer, A Salute to the Regular Player, uh, on Cat's Talk with Vinny and Terry, brought to you by blogtalkradio.com. And that, like you said, the interactions amongst regular Joes. And, and no doubt you started accumulating knowledge. I mean, you knew the game even before you started playing it. But then did you kind of start getting these stories and when you started playing? You started getting Well, you know what really turned me on to the game was the fact that uh I, I originally golfed with four with three other buddies at work, uh, out in the west coast in Vancouver and we set aside Wednesday because that was our day off uh together. We didn't work that day. And so we headed to the golf course and, and that's when the golf gone wild stories started. And uh, and then they just continued from there. And, and I actually added one story when I was 14 years of age, and I went golfing with my brother uh, right in front of our house here here in the park. And my brother, I, I called him the kamikaze striker because he would take the leading edge of the uh, uh, club head blade, and he would hit the middle of the ball, and he would strike the ball like a, like a, like a torpedo along the ground. And he would terrorize all the recreationalists in the park that were trying to enjoy themselves in the park. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they got, got golf balls coming at their heads. And I got a really funny story uh, in the book about him trying to hit a shot over the clubhouse. And he actually hit the ball into the clubhouse window, which is about a one and a one and a quarter square foot window, really tiny window. He actually drilled the ball through that window from a distance while someone was going in the clubhouse to relieve themselves. And so it's a really, really funny story what happens after that. It's a must-read. And from there, uh, I've got some other wacky stories. I've got bizarre shot stories. I've got brilliant shot stories. These are the stories that all, all of us regular players share with each other. And that's what I mean by legend. I, I don't refer to myself as a legend, as a, you know, like a Michael Jordan legend. I'm, I'm talking about legend as in story. It's an ancient word for story. So it's, it's basically about my story as a reg, regular recreational golfer. And I know that my story is going to resonate with other golfers because we all go through the same things. And so when you read some of, some of my stories or some of the characters in my book that hit some really cool shots, you're going to say, wow, that's pretty cool. I, I hit a shot like that too a couple of years ago that was very similar. And so that starts the dialogue going. And, uh, and that's really what, what the, the whole exciting uh, aspect of the book is all about. It's, it's, it's just the whole camaraderie that we all share. And I, and I refer to all of us recreational golfers as being part of the global community of Joe Golfer Nation. Uh, because uh, there, are, there are recreational like golfers that. that play all over the world. I, I mean, if you haven't noticed, they're, they're building courses in China, in Asia, rest of Asia, Middle East, uh, Europe. Australia is big in golf. And, and of course, we, we, we golf a lot in Canada. We have our own ca Canadian PGA Tour. So we have our own pro, pro Tour venue right in Canada. And so the game is just huge. And if you've ever watched Ryder Cup and you've, you know how exciting that is, United States against Europe or the European Union, and uh, fans from all over the world watch it. Golf is going to be in the Olympics in 2016. So, it, you know, it's a big deal. And, and, and more importantly for the regular player, it's a multi-billion dollar business where these big box golf stores that are all over the place are selling state-of-the-art clubs, shirts, hats, shorts, socks, shoes, you name it. 
you can buy, uh, and I talk about that in my book too. You can you can accessorize yourself to the point where you got a hundred pounds of junk in your bag that you don't really need. <laughs> but that's really right. what the game's about. It uh, you know there is that sort of uh, uh, that 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 thrill factor in the game that if you buy all this stuff you're going to play like Tiger Woods and and that's just right. not the case. You know exactly. Now, you know, I, I talk in started. I talk in my book about a story where where you know the typical regular player goes into the store and buys a thousand dollar or fifteen hundred dollar set of clubs, going <laughs> to the course thinking that they're going to play like a professional, right? And they right. don't bother working on their swing. They don't bother practicing. They just step on the course thinking they're going to hit magical golf shots down the fairway and they're going to land balls on the green and and then they get frustrated and pissed off and all of a sudden. I say in my book that the honeymoon with their clubs is over. They want a divorce, and they want to go run, run off with a new set of clubs, right? And that's basically what we do as, as consumers. You know, we're, we're not only regular, regular players, but we're consumers, and we love, we love blaming our equipment when we can't play the kind of game that we want to play, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, it's like and a baseball like- player in the batter's box, uh, you know, uh, strikes out and then they crack their bat over their leg which which I still find amazing but they're blaming themselves or or they're blaming the equipment or they throw equipment away because or like you know I'm into hockey obviously so uh, guys that make a bad play in hockey they end up tossing their hockey stick into the crowd and and they get another stick thinking that magically a a new piece of equipment is going to really help you out and and golfers are notorious for that I've seen clubs flung over trees over buildings (laughs) I've seen people break it over their knees, um, just whip it at somebody. I mean, it's just, it's just a wacky game, and, and, I, and, and it's addictive, and we all love it. And, and I think I, the reason why we all love it is because it's such a hard game to play. I call it the most difficult game that, that there is. Uh, and, and because it's so challenging, we like it so much. Because if it was easy, there really wouldn't be any incentive to really play it with any kind of regularity. So that's really why I love the game because I love the ch- – you can never perfect the game. You're never going to be perfect at the game. And even the best players in the world shoot stinking, stinker rounds where, where, you know, they got ballooning scores that make the regular player proud, you know. Right. And so, you know, so that makes us feel good when they, when they don't play well. Not that we wish that upon them, of course, but, you know, stuff like that happens on the course, right? Exactly, exactly. It is it is human nature to see them have human scores as pros. Oh, and when you when you um first started playing regularly at forty, what part of the of the game of golf came the most natural to you and what part did you have to work at the hardest as you learned these tips and developed this knowledge over the years? That's a great question because when I started out I I played almost every shot with my wedge, with my pitching wedge. You know, I love launching balls high up in the air and making these 120, 140-yard shots with a pitching wedge, and I thought that that that's the only club I needed. So my short Mm -hmm. game, about uh, inside 150, I call it inside 120 is really your short game. Between 120 yards and 150 is your extended short game. 
which is what I refer to. And those are the shots that I really worked on at the practice range. I found open fields where there was nobody there, unlike when I was a kid where there's people in the park. I found a field where, where I could I could set up my uh, pin targets in 10-yard increments and practice chips and like rolling chips and pop-up chips and uh, pitch shots and chip shots farther down, you know, all, in, in all kinds of different situations to simulate what you're going to see on a course. And so that was really my passion was the short. But then when I, when I had to tee up the ball and hit a tee shot, I got nervous. I started shaking and getting nervous because I knew in my mind I couldn't convince myself that I was going to hit a good shot. And, you know, that mm. saying, fake it till you make it, well, that doesn't really work very well in golf. So I really had right. to work on my long game at the latter half of my uh, recreational golfing career. Uh, last The last three years, I really worked hard at my long game, and now I can hit great drives off the tee, both driver and, and woods, metal woods, and, and even hybrids off the tee, no problem. Um, but, you know, to me, I thought that the short game was the most important, and it is. About 70% of your shots in golf are from the short game, and half of, and 50% of your short game is your putting. I mean, if you look at your score and you look at how many putts you make on the green, uh, not counting professionals, their, their shots are obviously lower because they're better putters. But a regular recreational uh, golfer spends a lot of time on the green. Uh, sometimes they think they're hockey players. They're stick-handling the golf ball to the hole because they, they, they take so many putts, right? So right. Uh, that's basically, um, that was my, uh, my take on the game when I started, and now I feel like I'm a complete player. I'm an intermediate handicap. Uh, I, I shoot somewhere in the mid-80s. Uh, that goes up when I don't play. That goes down when I play more. And uh, this past year, I've been working on the books, so I really wasn't on the course uh, as often as I wanted to be on the course, uh, but I'm going to really play, make up for that next season and play more. And I just can't get enough of the game. I love it. And as long as I can walk, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a cart rider. I, I have a little bit in my book, make fun of cart riders. I mean, I, I'm respectful, respectful of people that need to ride carts. There are four situations where I think you need to ride a cart, but if you if you don't fall into any of those four situations, then I really think the game is meant to be, you know, for walking because uh, you get the exercise, you get the aerobic benefits of walking, of course. And, you know, most courses are four and a half to, to six miles long, and that's a good walk out there. So if you simply use a golf cart that you can push or pull with ease, with relative ease, and you can get the walking benefits of golf, to me, that's, that's half the game right there is just the walking part. You get great exercise. That's very true, very true. Yeah. Talking with Chris Caldwell, author of The Legend of Joe Golfer, a salute to the regular player. And it sounds like, uh, I don't know if you're the exception to the rule or if everybody else is the exception or, or how it is, you, you had to short game down first and, and had to lengthen your game a lot of people boom and drive and then kind of fall apart, you know, when it's time to pull out the putters and wedges. There's kind of flip-flop in the way you learn the game, right? You know, I kill myself every time I go to the driving range, and, and I, don't mean, I don't mean this with any disrespect. 
when I see players go to the range and they pack only a handful of clubs, the first club they take out is the driver. And if you think of how many shots you're actually hitting with the driver, they're only 18 holes, so they're 18 tee shots. You're not going to hit the driver 18 times. So let's say even you hit the driver six six times because a lot of those holes are par three, 100 and, you know, 170 yards. 200-yard hole, so you don't necessarily need to pull out a driver. So let's just say you're going to hit 10 drives out of 18. Just to be, just just to give you a high number, 10 it might even be lower. So for those 10 shots, for you to spend the majority of your time at the at the driving range, hitting a driver, you're either trying to impress your friends or impress yourself or 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 whatever the reason, but you're not. I mean, what I'm suggesting is that if you have such little time to practice your game, why not take that hour that you have and practice the shots you really need to practice so that when you get on the golf course, those shots are going to be the shots that you're going to improve the most, and then you're going to really enjoy the game overall better because you've actually uh, worked on your weak shots, the shots that are your weaknesses, and then you go out on the golf course and your game is looking pretty good because you practice those shots. But, but with the driver, if you spend all the time just hitting with the driver, then you're neglecting all your other shots. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. And I've been guilty yeah. of doing what you, exactly what you said. I mean, I, I get to the driving range when I can. I'm, I'm not – set aside time to golf regularly like you yet. I definitely want to. I enjoy it every time I play. I just don't play a lot. But when I do go to the driving range, well, I'm at the driving range. I'm going to get my driver out. I think it's just the mindset. Well, so I, but I, I get my driver yeah. out at the very end. I, I work on, like to me, because my time is just so uh, so tight. I'm so tight on time that, I really need to work on the shots that, that that are going to better my game when I get on the course. And to me, spending the majority of my time hitting a driver as much as I want, and I know it's fun. Listen, I love smashing balls a mile down the down the fairway. I can't actually hit it a mile, but I you know I dream of hitting it a mile down the fairway. But I hit it pretty good distance. But you know what? I I can't spend all that time just working on one club at the expense of all of the other clubs in your bag. Exactly. You got to be. It makes sense to be versatile. Well, you have to be versatile when you're playing the course. You might as well, if you're going to go to the range, practice being versatile with all your clubs there as well. And I mean, to help it carries over. It makes perfect sense. You know, and I talk about um, preparing for your game. Like even I have a section. My my, uh, my book is set up like a like a journey, a four stage journey. The first journey is, what kind of a golfer are you going to be? Are you going to be a uh, an intense golfer, you, do you play like just every now and then, once in a blue moon, or or do you play half and half? Like do you play once or twice a week? Which is which is ideally I play twice a week, and and that's really all the golf that I can handle with my schedule. And then I try and play, get in one practice session at the range or or the field, and if I'm lucky, I'm out there twice practicing per week. That's a lot of golf. And I'm, I'm not a PGA pro. I have a life. I have other things to do. I have a job, you know, and, and basically um, uh, that cuts into your time. The PGA pros have the luxury of spending six, eight hours on the course. Well, that's what they do for a living. So that, that makes sense that they do that. And that's why they're so good. 
and aside from the fact that they're blessed with with uh, great talent, they harness it so well in all the time that they have available. Plus, they have a team of coaches to work, you know, to work on their game. And 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 these guys are the cream of the crop. There's no question about it. Um, but for me, the, the 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 challenge that regular players face all the time that they talk to me over the years is that Chris, they, they ask me, Chris, how can I improve my game quicker? How can I uh, enjoy my game better on the course? What what am I doing? What can I do to improve? And I have uh, a chapter in the book, the 10 suggestions to enhance your enjoyment of golf, very common sense suggestions, um, you know, follow golfing etiquette, um, be constructive when you're playing in a group of four, don't go yapping when people are planning their shots and stuff like that. And, um you know, uh, don't don't hit when there's a group in front of you and they're too close. Like I, my brother Richie was golfing with me one time, and he thought they were far enough. And I go, Richie, don't hit your shot. Give him another two minutes to go down down the. He goes, No, no, I'm I haven't been hitting the ball. I go, You're gonna hit your best drive of the of the day right now because that's what's gonna happen. And sure enough, he cranks the drive, and they miss. He misses the guy. Uh, uh, ahead on the fairway by by five yards it happens to dive and bounce in front of him and it, it rolls between them and then from yeah. that point on they started walking faster uh now i don't recommend that anybody does that but i, I just yeah. you know just common sense tips eat a nutritious breakfast don't don't eat the the, the typical four eggs like we do in canada four eggs uh eight pieces of bacon <laughs> sausage eight slices of toast, a dozen cups of bad coffee, and then when you get on the course, you feel like you've got a bowling ball in your stomach, and you can't right. move, you can't swing. And, I, and that happened to me once, and that was the last time I put myself in, the, in that situation. So I have a nutrition chapter, I have a physical fitness chapter, and especially when you get older, uh, I really think it's important that you pay attention to, to those things because, you know, I think most people want to enjoy a, a better quality of life and, you know, I say to people, look, you don't have to be a health nut, but if you want to eat better, here are some suggestions. Here are some uh, snack suggestions that you can take on the course. Here's a lunch that you can make that you can take with you on the course. Um, after, after uh, you, know, you know, your post-game dinner, this is what you can eat instead. Just, just suggestions that really get, fuel you up, give you more energy. To, to sustain yourself over a four and a half, five hour round of golf, depending on how fast you play. You know, it's a lot of time to be spending out there. And if you don't have the proper fuel uh, to, to, to uh, propel you through a round of golf, then you're, you're going to be dragging your feet and you're going to be tired. And then that's when the game really isn't that much fun. Yeah, that, that makes sense as well. Um, the book, The Legend of Joe Golfer, A Salute to the Regular Player, uh, 386 pages, Published on September the eighth, and it's available in ebook, right, Chris? Hardcover, softcover. Yeah, you can Google. Uh, the best way is just Google Legend of Joe Golfer, and if you go Legend of Joe Golfer slash Author House, um, you can read a uh, quick overview, which is basically the back page cover of the actual book. It's sort of my brief pitch as to uh, how this book can help you with your with your golfing journey. Uh, in, in, in that uh, section as well, there's a two-page uh, uh, preview of the book. Of course, uh, other, if you go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, a lot of these other book sites have 
uh, free chapter uh, excerpts that you can read about the book. Uh, there's a section about me as the author in a lot of these uh, in a lot of these uh, uh, book sites, and uh, basically shop around for the for the best price. And and uh, the books are you know the books around twenty two dollars soft cover, about thirty thirty dollars uh, hard cover. Standard price for a book that's three hundred sixty five pages long. And uh, and and yeah, you can get it on ebook. More and more readers are now wanting to read read these books on tablets, and so I have that capability. Next year, I'm coming out with an audio book where I'm actually going to be reading the book because there's a lot of people that really don't like reading books, but they like hearing the books read to them. So uh, if, if they can listen to me for 12 hours reading the book, I don't mean 12 hours straight, but you know, uh, that's another way of uh, of really getting a taste of the book. And I'm going to read it with all the passion and all the heart that I put into writing the book. I've had a blast writing it. It was my life's work, and I'm very, very proud of it. And and every time I talk with someone about my book, they can see that you know it's a it was just it was just a a, a, a real joy writing this story because I've had so many good times on the golf course, and I've met some of the most amazing people on the golf course the golfers are have really good character in them and uh and it's it's just a nice lifestyle to incorporate recreational golf in your in your overall lifestyle as you go forward and advance and into your golden years you know well good stuff sir uh we appreciate you coming on and explaining all the good details about the book explaining how uh the thought process of the book came together and all the time that you put into the book, The Legend of Joe Golfer, a salute to the regular player. I'm looking forward to getting my copy, and I'm looking forward to starting my uh, golf journey on a more regular basis. I am definitely... And, and listen, I wish, you all, I wish you all the best in your golf journey, and, and I, I can guarantee you and your listeners one thing. If, 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 if you guys read the book, I can guarantee you that you're going to enhance your enjoyment of the game just from the stories I have in there, from the suggestions, from the tips, and you're also going to magically improve your game along the way. That sounds good. That's exactly what I'm – I mean, I have fun anyway, but I I definitely want to, you know, get better and kind of learn what I need to do to get better so you can kind of correct as you go and progress as you go. So I'm I'm definitely looking Well, you know what, every journey starts with a single step, and – and and I would say that this book is like having a caddy in your bag that you can take with you anywhere you go, and and uh, your steps are going to be definitely a lot easier to take with with this type of uh, with this type of advice than if you didn't have it. So I, I just uh, I really really uh, wish everybody the best, and, and and I really have a good feeling that this is really going to enhance uh, anybody's enjoyment of golf that reads this book. Hey, sounds great. Looking forward to it and, and looking forward to warm weather. And I know you are, so you can get back out there on the course again. Well, listen, thank, thank you very much for having me on your show. And, and, and go Wildcats. I've been to Kentucky recently, and it's a great, it's a great state. I had a, I had a good time there. And, and uh, you're always welcome to come up to, to, to uh, the land of the Raptors and, and, uh, shoot, and, and tell your listeners there's, there, there's some beautiful golf courses up here as well. I will do it. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you. And have a good evening, sir. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Chris Caldwell, 
author of The Legend of Joe Golfer, A Salute to the Regular Player. Uh, definitely pick that book up, whether you're a Joe Golfer, a Jane Golfer, or anything in between. Uh, it's definitely good reading. It talks about his journey, how he started in the game, where he's at now, stories along the way. Uh, so it's definitely a good read. I'm looking forward to getting my copy of the book as well. Um, we enjoyed having Chris on. Enjoy talking some golf on the show. That's a first. Look forward to doing that once again, too, in the near future. We got Mr. Cameron Mills coming up in about five minutes or so. We'll talk some UK hoops, look back at North Carolina, look ahead to UCLA. Um, we're going to have a best of show next week. So we won't be on, so we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit of as well. Uh, kind of kill two birds with one stone as far as the next two Kentucky basketball games. While we wait for Cam to come on, um, just a couple of news and notes of events that um, happened since we were on the air last. Uh, first, of course, we hadn't talked about Alex Porter's. So that's been well documented now. Uh, he was injured Thursday uh, in practice out for the season with torn ACL. And, of course, all big nation is just, I mean, you know, your heart goes out. The city young fella, great kid, as everybody knows. Uh, but down for the season, uh, everybody was able to see him there uh, for the first time since he's been injured Saturday as Kentucky took on North Carolina. Uh, the team is deep, as we all know. His athleticism will be missed. There were some grown man plays that he's made throughout the course of his career um, that only he can make. I'm talking just out jumping the leapers that are out there. We saw it his freshman year at Duke. We saw it last year uh, when he dunked on the kid from, I think, Wisconsin. Uh, those freak athletic plays are going to be missed. Um, definitely want to see the swelling go down and him have successful surgery. Uh, and be able to come back strong and, and play well once again. So we definitely say, hate to see Alex Porter go down with an injury there um, last week. But it happened since we have been on the air. So just wanted to touch on it, even though everybody already know, knew that it happened, of course. Um, we also had, in football, uh, we had a couple of transfers from Nebraska. That happened. Since last Wednesday when we were on, Coach Fellini is no longer going to be the coach at Nebraska. So guys are moving and finding new teams and looking for new situations. They're not wanting to stay and uh, roll with the new coach uh, from Oregon State, Mike Riley, is going to be at Nebraska now. Uh, two of those guys that are leaving the Cornhusker program and coming to Lexington uh, will be Courtney Love, a freshman linebacker, and Greg Hart, a freshman tight end. Uh, Love, linebacker 6'1", 240. Uh, he played in all 12 games for the Huskers. And then you have Hart, 6'5", and he's 240 pounds as well. Uh, didn't have a catch in the redshirt season in nine games. So those are two positions that, as we saw this past year, uh, can – Afford to be bolstered. Can can use a little bit of a boost. I can tell you, was dead at linebacker before Avery Williamson moved on to the NFL. 
uh, tight end position was a little bit thin. So it's good to see some depth there, see some young guys can come in and contribute, some good athletes coming from the Nebraska program over to Kentucky. So those were a couple uh, happenings since we were on the air last Wednesday. So in the basketball and the football side of things. Um, we talked a week or two ago with Sam Rizzo from Bleacher Report. We covered the Sacramento Kings in the NBA, uh, the Marcus Cousins squad, of course. And when we were talking about them on the show, they were off to a good start. Things were going fairly well. They got off to a 9-5 and five start. Um, the teams hadn't been that great since the Marcus had been out there in Sacramento. Um, this year was, like I said, off to a good start, 9-5. and five. And, you know, everybody was playing well. Ruby Gay's out there. Marcus Cousins is there. Uh, Marcus coming off the summer for USA Basketball, uh, transitioning right on into another solid season. That's one of the NBA's best big men this year. Uh, he was injured, had to be sidelined due to viral meningitis, which cost him a handful of games. He's been out about 10 games. Um, the Kings' record plummeted with him being out, and head coach Mike Malone was shown the door. It, and it seemed maybe kind of a rash move at the bottom line business, but you would think that, hey, maybe let the market get back on the team, get back to playing well. They were still right there contending for the eighth playoff spot. Now, the season's early. There's still a lot of basketball left to be played. But the Western Conference is brutal. you got to be in the top eight to make the playoffs. And, you know, Sacramento was contending for that spot, which hadn't happened in a while. So they're still, even with all these losses, without Cousins being in the lineup, still right there hovering and battling for the eighth spot. So you think, you know, he comes back, they get the chemistry back, and they start winning some games again. Uh, they've gotten off to that 9-5 and five start. You think they would still have the makings of, of having a, a pretty good year. Well, Mike Malone was was shown the door. He was fired. Um, and so Sam, who was on with us, uh, I sent him a tweet when I saw that Mike Malone was no longer the head coach, and he was blown away. He couldn't believe that they had made this move. Uh, there's Right now, Tyrone Corbin played in the NBA for a long time, played for Utah Jazz, played for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, he was the interim coach when Jerry Sloan uh, stepped away from the Utah Jazz. So he coached a while there for the Jazz. Now he's the interim coach in Sacramento in another weird situation. You know, Sloan stepped away. Now Malone is fired. East case, Tyrone Corbin is next in line. Uh, there's rumors that George Carl is interested in the job. If the Kings are interested in having him, George Carl, longtime coach of the Seattle Sonics back before they moved to Oklahoma City, uh, also coached several years there with Denver Nuggets. Uh, good coach. Always making the playoffs. Had some good runs. Went to the finals with Seattle in 96. And they, of course, were another victim of Michael Jordan and the Bulls. They lost the Bulls in six games back in 96. Up uh, at Sean Kemp, Gary Payton back then, Devin Shrimp, Sam Perkins. They were loaded back then. So, you know, George Carl's used to coaching some good players. Got a good young team in Sacramento if Ultimately, he ends up being the coach there. We'll have to see how it all plays out. But it just seemed a little bit 
hasty, but, you know, I don't own the Sacramento Kings. The new ownership group can do what they want to do, and obviously they, they did by making this change. But it seemed a little bit hasty that they would do that. Uh, you know, if Cousins comes back and they're still struggling, you know, after he's been back a while, then, okay, maybe a move has to be made. But they saw it a different way, and so, hey, Tyrone Corbin is the interim coach right now of the Sacramento Kings. We'll see how that all plays out uh, and, and just see what remains in store for the Sacramento Kings. It'd be good to see them make the playoffs. It's been a while. They were good in the early 2000s. You had uh, Vlade, Evot, uh, Weber, Tejas Tijakovic. They had a they had a squad out there back then and gave the Lakers all they wanted in the playoffs, and the Lakers were loaded. We're talking Shaq and Kobe and Robert Ory and uh, Derek Fisher and the teams that Phil Jackson got into championships. Um, they had some battles with Sacramento back then, too. So we'll see what happens with that situation. Another thing, NBA-wise, that kind of jumped out at me and caught my eye, the fact that the Brooklyn Nets, you know, and, you know, trades are going to happen. Teams are going to start shopping players, but the Nets are just kind of shopping everybody. Darren Williams, um, the Lopez twin, Rooker Robin, i got to see which one plays where. I think Brooke is there in Brooklyn. Um, Joe Johnson. And it's just kind of odd that, you know, the owner, Mikhail Prokhorov, is just now getting used to even being an owner, hasn't owned the team long. Now they're shopping everybody. Rumor is he might be, you know, trying to sell the franchise already. This right after his famous, you know, remarks and battle with Jason Kidd, who is now the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks after one season in Brooklyn. Um, you know, Mikhail with his famous, you know, don't let the door hit you. Don't, you know, the door, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. In the beef that he had with Jason Kidd, now it's like, you know, the door might hit him if he's trying to sell the team already, which that would be a weird situation to buy a franchise and then that quick one to turn around and sell it. But we'll see how that plays out. We'll see where these, you know, superstars for the Nets go. If your team's going to step up and work out some deals, how will that situation play out? It'll be interesting to see how all of this goes in the NBA. It's very early. A lot can happen. A lot of trades can and will be made. Teams are figuring out if they can contend or if they're pretending. So we'll see what goes on with the situation there as well. On the um, college football front, and we'll probably talk a little bit of this again with Terry Hanson when he comes on, uh, the Heisman winner was announced past Saturday. Everybody kind of, well, I'll speak for myself. Kind of had to go through withdrawal, not having a lot of football games on for the first time. Well, college football games, I'm talking about. Uh, for the first Saturday in a while, you had the Army Navy game, uh, which was a good game. And Navy won again for the 13th straight time. But there wasn't the whole glut of college football games that we're used to seeing. So you had the Heisman presentation. Marcus Mariota from Oregon won. In a landslide, they got 90% of the vote. Um, Amari Cooper finished second. Um, so, but it wasn't even 
close. Everybody knew that uh, Mariota was the favorite. You know, you've been hearing that for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it turned out to be the case. Uh, he's got a great career out there. Oregon will now play Florida State in one side of the playoff bracket. So you got the two Heisman winners going head-to-head, Mariota and Jameis Winston. So we'll see how that plays out with the, the two former, the last two Heisman Trophy winners uh, going head-to-head for a date in the national championship game. Play either Alabama or Ohio State on the other side of the bracket. So we'll see how that situation goes. Yeah, 90.9% of the votes for Marcus Mariota. Uh, Melvin Gordon, running back out of Wisconsin, finished second, and Amari Cooper was third. Um, And, you know, Melvin Gordon's last game, I mean, it was going to be Mariota anyway, but Wisconsin's last game against Ohio State couldn't have helped at all if they were blasted 59 to nothing with Ohio State trotting out a third-string quarterback, and they just, you know, decimated Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. Um, maybe, you know, Gordon, maybe at least, maybe Wisconsin at least scores a point. You know, maybe Gordon gets in the end zone a couple times. Maybe we'd have got a little bit more vote. I mean, you're not going to knock Mariota down off of that 90% stranglehold on it that he had. Um, but that was just a, you know, you're only good as your last game, some people like to say. And that was about a horrible game for Gordon in Wisconsin to be drubbed like that by the Buckeyes. It was un- unreal. And, you know, everybody outside of Columbus, you know, Ohio State is one of those polarizing teams. It's a big name. People either love them or hate them. Of course, we know Michigan hates them, but a lot of people pull against them. A lot of people felt Ohio State really shouldn't even be there. Um, you got the whole Baylor TCU thing, which they, to me, they shot themselves in the foot by not having a Big 12 title game or at least deciding on a winner, an outright winner of that conference. Uh, they were trying to split it and, you know, do the co-champion thing, see if they keep that going or if they, you know, get a title game and try to expand their conference there in the Big 12. Just have to see what happens. But, you know, Ohio State is polarizing. People love them. People hate them. People love to hate them. Um, a lot of people kind of want Alabama to kind of go ahead and put them out of their misery and get them out of the playoffs as quick as possible. We'll see how things play out when playoff time gets here in college football. So congratulations to Marcus Mariota. His speech was awesome. I'm not a big Heisman guy. You know, I'm I'm kind of, hey, let me just see the update and when the winner's announced. I don't get into watching the whole show. I don't know the last time that I watched a Heisman show. Uh, I really don't. Um, you know, it's you know, it's it's cool. It's, it's cool that they have the ceremony and all that. And you know, when you see the speeches on Sports Center, like Mariota, like Mark Ingram at Alabama when he won it. It's cool to see that, but I personally just can't watch that whole ceremony. Uh, it's kind of like the Pro Bowl. Uh, it's just, you know, you, I just can't do it. I just don't watch it. It doesn't jump out at me as something that I want to watch. And I'm kind of that way 
maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just weird. Maybe I'm quirky. I'm kind of that way with the drafts, too, the NBA draft, NFL draft. I watch a few picks roll out, but I can't watch the whole thing. Um, the NBA draft is a little bit more watchable. You've got a lot of U.K. guys, of course, you know, going up and down the first round. So that makes it watchable more so. But, you know, when it's just the draft, they announce who's going where. Then they're showing the highlights, reels, of plays that you've already seen, things you've already seen them do. Eh, it just doesn't really do a lot for me. That's just me. Um, same thing with the Heisman ceremony presentation. You know, it's all the plays that Mariota made this year, uh, all the runs Melvin Gordon made, all the catches Amari Cooper made. We saw them all already. So I don't have to just sit and watch the build-up and the highlights of plays that I've already seen while you're waiting for, you know, the, the envelope to be opened and the winner to be announced. It's just kind of uh, my take on the situation. We are efforting Cameron Mills. See if he's still going to be able to hop on and join us on the show tonight. If he is able to, that would be wonderful. I love his insight, as always. Uh, he was on with us over the summer. I think it was back in June. Um, wow, time flies. So it's been maybe six months ago since he was on with us. We're looking forward to having him on again, uh, if possible, to uh, to get the insight and all of that from a former player himself. So if Cam was able to come on, we'd definitely love to have him. We'll see if we can get in touch with him. Um and see how that goes. If not, we'll get him another time. The last time that um, Cam was on, I think I was on vacation. TV, I mean, of course, once again, I hope TV feels better. I uh, hate that he is under the weather. But Terry was hosting and driving the ship, driving the, the bus, so to speak. And I called in and just talked to Cameron. So the last time, every time, I mean, Cameron's going to say it, I'm just going to beat him to the punch. Every time he comes on, one of us isn't here, and that would be the case tonight. If he comes on tonight, TV won't be there. TV is sick. Last time he was on, I wasn't there. I called in and still talked with him and, and Terry, and we had, you know, good UK hoops chat, but, you know, I wasn't there. But if you're a fan of the Mill Show, which comes on 1580 a.m., in Lexington, the show that Cameron Mills hosts. It seemed like the whole month of April and May, and I, I called him on this when he was on our show in June. Like Cameron was hosting his show, but he wasn't there. He was calling into his own show, kind of like I did. Uh, Dick Gabriel, covered Kentucky for years, would be hosting on Saturday morning from 10 to 12, hosting Cameron's show. Cameron calls in. Like all of March Madness, that was the case. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you know, Cameron was like, "That's that's a fair point." Um, I, there are a lot of times that I wasn't on my own show, so I, I can't really mess with you that bad because he was doing the similar things himself. But you know, it was all in good fun. Um, if he's not able to come on, we'll definitely get him on again. It's after UCLA and Louisville. It starts conference play for the Cats. Uh, we might get him on at some point in the SEC season. Uh, 
he's not able to join us tonight. We'll still try to get him on with us and see if he can squeeze in a few minutes. If not, it's going to be good. He's still our guy, and we'll get him on at some point in the future. TB, being the Lakers fan that he is, uh, got to go ahead and acknowledge his guy, Kobe Bryant, the Black Mamba, surpassing Michael Jordan on the all-time scoring list. He did it against the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, in a win for the Lakers, more importantly, because the Lakers have been struggling. They got a win over Minnesota. Uh, the previous game against the Spurs, he had a good game, and the Lakers won that game as well. It was it reminded me of the Lakers game in Houston when Houston let L.A. hang around and hang around and hang around and hang around, and they weren't able to deliver that knockout blow, and the Lakers were there in the end, and they would win the game. The same thing, you know, San Antonio was scoring a lot, uh, but they just let Swaggy P get off on him. He was hitting a lot of threes, keeping L.A. in it. You know, the Spurs were spurred ahead a little bit, but, you know, not – Anything major. You know, LA was exciting business. And, uh, you know, that whole situation, they allowed themselves to be in striking distance. And at the end, you know, Swaggy P hit the shot there to win the game for LA. So, congratulations to Kobe. Um, he's now ahead of MJ. There's been a lot of comparisons to him and Jordan, of course, and that was his guy growing up. And now he's able to fly past him in the all-time scoring list. Eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. If you want to give us a call, feel free to do so. That is our number. At Cast Talk Wednesday on Twitter. At Vinnie Hardy on Twitter. And T Brown underscore eighty. It's for TP. Of course, he's under the weather. Um, so we look forward to having him back. Not next week, the following week. We do have the best of show next week. We'll be back two weeks from tonight uh, with another good show for everybody. Another um, nugget of news that we hadn't talked about was, once again, football-related, and it's a good get for Coach Stoops, was that Drake Jackson committed to Kentucky. He's from right here in the state of Kentucky, from Woodford County, highly ranked center, uh, able to come in and help in 2016, the offensive line for the Cats. Um, you know, he picked Kentucky over Ohio State, Tennessee, Alabama. Uh, he's the sixth commitment of the 2016 class, and he wants to be the Drew Barker of his class. You know, all the work that Drew did, Recruiting once he committed, you know, he turned right around and started talking to other guys in his class. Hey, let's let's get Kentucky going. Let's get a lot of good talent into Kentucky. Drake's a personable young man, well-spoken, level-headed, uh, great player, and he wants to continue to do the same thing. He's going to get in guys' ears. Of course, everybody's like, hey, talk to Damian Harris. Talk to Damian Harris, another in-state guy, the highly ranked, top-ranked running back in the state. So we'll see um, what Drake is able to do. And, but it's good to see him stay in state, um, continue to get bigger, faster, stronger, Mark Stoops said, especially after the Tennessee game when 
Cats were beaten down and worn down heading into that bye week before that play was for. So, Jackson in the fold. He was on with Martin Berger. Sports uh, talk, so it was good to hear him well spoken. And him being the Drew Bark of his class, he's going to recruit some guys and, and get them on as well. We have our man, Mr. Cameron Mills, on the line. We'll jump in and get some knowledge from him real quick. Cameron, you were on with Cats Talk with Vinny and not Terry tonight. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well, guys. How are you all? Hey, man, doing good. I was already kind of beaten to the punch, and it was my mistake because <laughs> well, I didn't know. I didn't know if I was supposed to call in or you all were going to call me. It was my bad. <laughs> we're just a little bit. So things things seem to go smoother when I just give out the number. I've I've stepped away and called some guests and then you know merge it all back together. It goes a little bit smoother, you know, if we can just have a guest call in because we we have enough technical difficulties as it is. So. <laughs> Well, again, it's, it's miracle Twitter. I'm glad I'm I'm glad I could DM you and and because I was I'm I'm sitting out here just kind of fiddling around waiting for you guys to call. We would have been waiting forever, I guess. Oh, that's I apologize. And I was I was no, already don't worry. My, I was already giving myself grief because the last time you were on back in June, uh, Terry, which he was he was hosting, and I was on vacation. and I called in. Oh, that's right. Yep. And to tonight. I'm hosting. Terry's under the weather, so every time you've been with us, we've been half staff. I never get whatever reason. I never get both of you, huh? <laughs> so well, no, actually, point, you were you were on last time. You were just down in Florida or something, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I called in. I, I, and That's you know, I kind of turned the tables. I kind of did what you were doing in March and April when Dick Gabriel was hosting for you, and you were yeah. calling in. So I, yeah. you know, but yeah, as far right. as both of us. <laughs> As far as both of us being here, it hasn't happened yet, but we'll get you on again. And That's all right. Be here and all that good stuff. Um, we're doing a best of next week, so we're just kind of just kind of cramming UCLA and Louisville kind of into one show. Um, UCLA is a little bit; uh, they're kind of limping out of the gate. Not as highly built of a game as we thought. Looking back at it over the summer, we say. Yeah, they, they they seem to be. I you know what? Honestly, other than I guess us and Duke, maybe Arizona, and you know there's some teams that are playing well. I guess you've got the top five or so, but honestly, I think it's pretty much Duke and Kentucky that have kind of risen to the top, and everybody seems to think it's going to be if everything goes as planned and everything goes normal, and there aren't too many. Well, in our case, more injuries. Um. You know, everyone's kind of expecting a, at least uh, Kentucky and Duke to be in the Final Four with two other teams, which could be Arizona, could be Louisville. Um, you know, maybe maybe one or two other teams may surprise us and pop up here in the next, you know, once we get deep into conference play. But, I, you know, I, I don't know how good UCLA was supposed to be this year. And that's always the interesting thing to me, to watch the talking heads, um, you know, the professional broadcasters and national media members, kind of make their guesstimates as to what a team's going to be. Of course, that's always based on what they were last year, and then you have to throw in the addition of the freshmen. And then you look at a team like Kentucky where, you know, um, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News, who I've had a couple of times on my show, he kind of has 
and he even admitted this to us on the show. He said, look, you know, the rankings from the sporting news, I had a lot of control over. Well, he didn't even pick Kentucky number one. He picked Arizona number one, and, um, and which, which was, you know what, I want, I want to say it's a, it's a fair decision, but I, I just I, don't under, I didn't understand it. As a matter of fact, it was kind of funny on the show. I hadn't even looked at the rankings. I saw that the number one team was the Wildcats. I assumed it was the Kentucky Wildcats, and it turned out to be Arizona. Um, so I just think it's always interesting how they pick these teams. And, you know, look, it, it may be easy to pick one through five, but when you start getting down into, you know, five through ten, ten through fifteen, it's a lot of just guesswork. And I guess that's why they do kind of the polls and do the voting and that kind of thing to see what the majority of the opinion is. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the, the top five teams are kind of where they are. Um, they are where they should be. I think Kentucky ought to be a unanimous team and don't really know what was expected of UCLA, though I think they've got a great coach who's trying to build something, you know, more to what we assume the UCLA team should look like based on their tradition in the 60s and 70s. Exactly. And I don't know, it's just, maybe it's just a UCLA thing this year, but, you know, to flip it over to the football side, their football team was, I think, ranked seventh or maybe higher. I know they started top ten out of the gate, and their football team did the same thing. That You looked up, and they yeah. were struggling to beat Memphis in football, and Memphis yeah. has been god-awful for years. And then you see them kind of limp through and, and take a lot more lumps than everybody thought. And, you know, the same thing with the basketball team. I mean, North Carolina yeah. absolutely ran UCLA. I mean, it's <laughs> well, well, Here's the deal. When, when, when you go to school – on the West Coast, and I don't mean Fresno. I mean the West Coast. What are you What are you worried about playing basketball and football anyway? For these guys, they have a whole bunch of other things on their mind, and a whole bunch of distractions out there. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm not sure how important basketball and football should be for them when they've got that weather, those beaches, and that scenery out there. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And it's always been that way. And you know, yeah, there's so many things to just you know, divert your eyes to and apply your interest in and divert your time to. You don't have to stay yeah. in a gym or on a practice field, yeah. You no. know, Venice Beach and no. who knows and, what all. Well, and, and that's the thing. You do have to stay. If you're committed, you do have to stay in a gym and a practice arena. But it's, it's uh, I would think it would be pretty hard to with the kind of weather they have out there. Their, uh, their, their winter sport is uh, a little bit different than our winter sport here in Kentucky. That's for sure. That's for sure. We're joined now by... Cameron Mills, former UK guard, current host of the Mills Show on 1580 AM, Lexington, Saturdays, 10 AM to 12 PM, uh, talking a little UCLA, a little bit of Louisville. Now, as a player, you couldn't do this, but as a media type and as fans, let's just look past UCLA and to Louisville <laughs> since we're just cramming shows. Yep. Give us your kind of your thoughts, your inklings, your initial instincts of everything going in, and does it concern you that this is the first true road game for the freshmen? Um, in some sense, it does. Louisville has kind of been the game I circled all year round. Well, I, to be fair, after the Kansas game, because you don't know what you got until you go against what you know people are going to consider one of the best teams in the country. And you know, Kansas is still, as far as I know, they're still ranked in the top ten. So even though we killed them. You know, they dropped a little bit, but then they had one or two, I think, uh, good victories, and so they're back up in the top ten. But after the Kansas game, I kinda, you kind of look at the rest of the schedule and you think, okay, if we trounce the number five team in the country, if they truly were the number five team um, by 30, then, okay, we shouldn't have trouble with North Carolina. We shouldn't have trouble with UCLA. We shouldn't have trouble with Columbia, for that matter, even though we did. 
Um, so I kind of I'm going through the schedule and I'm looking at things, and the Louisville game is the one that kept kind of popping up on me, thinking that's the one I'm concerned about. That's the one that you know where I feel like we could be legitimately tripped up. And in talking to fans, because that's a question I get all the time from people, you know, who, who do you think might beat us, or who do you think we'll have trouble with, or you know, what game concerns you? And I, I would tell fans, you know, for the last few weeks, I said Louisville, 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 and I get rolled eyes. And I think part of the reason they roll their eyes at my comment is that it's Louisville, and as Kentucky fans, we just naturally want to um, diminish them and, and you know, ridicule them. But I think part of it, too, is, you know, I don't think – I don't think Louisville – they certainly have it now, but at the time, I think people were looking at their schedule, looking at who they've beaten, and said, well, they haven't beaten anybody. They're not that good. They've got this, this, this. And I've heard a lot of excuses. The problem is this, Vinny. They're a rivalry game. And when you play your rival, and we've seen this over the years, just ridiculous, crazy things happen. I mean, things that, that should not happen, that aren't supposed to happen, happen. And so regardless of what they're, how good they might be or might not be, and I think they're great, um, crazy things can happen. And at this point, honestly, the only way I could say it would be crazy if they beat us um, is simply because we, of what we did to Kansas, of what we did to North Carolina. We we should, based on those things, we should beat Louisville. Concerning other than the rivalry is this. North Carolina went to a press, as far as I remember, maybe three or four times, maybe more than that, maybe I missed a few, but I noticed it three or four times in the North Carolina game. And the first time I noticed it, we just absolutely did not handle the pressure well. And if we think North Carolina's pressure was, was frustrating, I, I just wait until Coach Patino brings in 40 minutes of it because they're going to press us for 40 minutes. They're going to try to get our guards to turn their back um, and dribble through it. Um, and if Ulyss and Booker and the Twins – you know, if they don't if they don't know and learn and realize that this is a pressure that you have to pass to beat, then there's going to be a bunch of turnovers. What's going to be interesting, though, is that with our platoon system, it is created. One of the benefits of it, I should say, is to it's it's it will wear teams down. I mean, the games against uh, Texas Arlington, Columbia, Eastern Kentucky, the other games that um, you know were we should have won that we started slow on, you know, I kept tweeting and telling people mm-hmm. I was watching the game, just relax, let's wait and see what happens in the second half. The last ten minutes are where, you know, it, it, everything should change because at that point we should have wear the, worn the team we were playing down. Well, that's what Louisville's press is made to do. It's, it's created or it, it is intended to turn you over, yes, but it's intended to turn you over when the game is on the line, the last five to ten minutes of the game, when hopefully you're worn out. So we're going to have two teams coming at this from two very different directions, one with pressure and one with just bodies trying to wear the other team out the last 10 minutes of the game. So it's going to be interesting to see which team wins out based on that. That's for sure. And our man TB is with us. And uh, you there, TB? I'm here. There you are, buddy. Hey, glad yeah, you're feeling better, my man. <laughs> Nursing the mind, break, but I'm but I'm I'm up. I'm up and ready to go. <laughs> You've been spending too much time so, in that hot tub, Terry. Exactly. <laughs> we know where yeah, you were. It was hot tub. <laughs> hey, hey, Cam. I'm gonna I'm gonna just say one more thing, and then TV, you can do, say whatever, do whatever. But I, 
to your point, Cameron, you were talking about how you were concerned about Louisville and, you know, everybody was rolling their eyes when you would say that that could be a potential pothole or a yeah. scenario for big problems. I was listening to Matt Jones on KSR, and, you know, he I think he went on a Louisville message board. They're saying the same thing. Their fans, they don't see any scenario where they even lose. Some guy he said posted he's either going to be a blowout by 20 or a buzzer beater, but he's not sure how Louisville's going to win. I think, like like you said, the whole rivalry thing, that yeah. that blinds eyes even more, especially when it's yeah. Louisville and Kentucky. As a fan, it's easy to not be rational and objective anyway. But then when you talk about Louisville and Kentucky, that just ramps it up even more. Mm-hmm. Look at the football. Once again, look at football with Kentucky and Tennessee. How many years yeah. of our lifetime should we have ended that streak that Tennessee had? We had to beat in the third fourth quarter for years. And this one, Tennessee was a lot better because it's a yeah. rivalry game. Kentucky would have a bad record, but yet they'd come out and be up 17-7 to or 24-14 to and then lose 28-24. But, you yeah. know, on paper – it should have been fifty-seven of three every time. Yeah. Well, you can, Vinny. You can look at um, you can look at this year's Kentucky Louisville football game. I mean, on paper, based on rankings, based on you know pretty much everything we had seen from the Kentucky team the last six games of the season up until the Louisville game, and what Louisville had done the prior couple of weeks beating Notre Dame, you would have expected that to have been maybe not a blowout, maybe a blowout because we certainly were getting it handed to us. Um, football-wise, the last few games. Um, but you wouldn't have expected it to be as close as it was, back and forth, big punches thrown by both teams, and it just coming down to, you know, the last few plays of the game as to who wins. I, I, you know, the fans, both sides, uh, well, I don't even know if that's fair. I guess the Louisville fans probably expected it to be a blowout. Kentucky fans were hoping for a chance. But, again, what should have happened is not what happened necessarily because Kentucky came out with the passion of saying this is Louisville, this is our biggest game of the year for two different reasons. Number one, it's our rival. Number two, this is this game is to go bowl eligible. So you've got that added in, and we saw a Kentucky team come out with a hobbled quarterback, um, run the ball on what, what I believe was the fourth best running defense in the country um, with Williams getting, I think, what did he get, 120-something yards on him. Um, you know, we did something we shouldn't have done, and that's all because, you know, the rivalry games, they up the intensity, they up the emotion, they can up the mistakes. Um, but it, you just never know what's going to happen, and I think we saw that in the football game. Yeah, Louisville, Louisville scares me. Uh, the Louisville game has always kind of scared me because uh, yeah. here I am in Louisville, and, I, you know, I get it from the fans. But my thing is, Patino <laughs> and Cameron, you know, he's a, he's a great coach. He is going to put the Cardinals in a position to win. And, you know, we like to tout, you know, the one and six record, but those have been contests that have gone down, you know, to the wire, so to speak. You know, even uh, the 2012 Final Four, that game was tied, you know, kind of midway through the second half. So I'm not on the bandwagon where I'm saying it's going to be easy for Kentucky or easy for Louisville. It's going to be a great game, two great teams, two great coaches. I hope we win. I think we will win. Absolutely. Well, and see, but but Terry, the problem is you, you sound too rational right now, and and as a fan, that's you can't sound rational. I mean, but that's that's the reality. 
is that that, that is what it's more than likely going to be. And, look, I hope it is a 30-point blowout. I hope we do to them what we did to Kansas. I don't think that's what's going to happen because, as you said, not only are they well-coached, but you guys probably saw what Coach Patino said, I believe, after the UNC. I want to say was it Wilmington that they played? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, they won by 12. And he comes in the locker room, he goes on post-game interviews, and he's furious. And and even made a, well, a fantastic quote was, these guys are going to pay for this tomorrow. And I can't tell you how many times I heard those very words uttered at myself and my teammates. You guys are going to pay for this tomorrow. We won a 12-point game against Georgia in 1995. It was the 94-95 season, my freshman year. We were playing Georgia at home in one of our early SEC games. We beat them by 12, but we had them up. We were up by 16. They made a little run, cut it to eight. Coach Patino called a timeout, pulled us over on the sidelines, and, and, and said that exact same thing to us. You guys are going to pay for this tomorrow. As a matter of fact, what he did at the time, he tried to send George Barber, who was essentially our director of basketball operations at the time, he sent him to find out when Memorial Coliseum would be open and available for us to practice that afternoon. Because he was going to, we were going to go shower, we were going to go back to the lodge, we were going to go change clothes in Memorial, and we were going to immediately practice after the game. Fortunately, in one of the few brilliant things the NCAA has done, they don't allow that. You cannot practice the same day you play. So when he found that out, before the game was over, mind you, he came in the locker room, we had won by 12, we had kind of erased a little run, gone up by 12, won the game by that. He came in the locker room, chewed us out one more time, and wrote 12.01 a.m. up on the board. And at 12.01, <laughs> about eight hours later, we practiced for about three and a half hours. Wow. And that is what he's doing to this team right now. He may be doing it because he truly is disgusted with how they beat. And, again, I think it was UNC Wilmington. Or yeah. there may be part of him that's saying, you know what, i got to get these guys' intensities, their intensity ready for the Kentucky game. And or maybe it's just, right. you know what they're playing so poorly. I'm so frustrated with how they're playing that you know I don't think we're ready for Kentucky, and I'm going to change that. So, and all of that to say, and, and both of you are right, and Terry, you're right. He's going to have them ready to play us because even though we have beat them several times recently since Cal got here, I don't, I don't. You're right. I don't know too many of them blowouts. They've been back and forth games. We just happen to have pulled them out at the end. That's it. Right. Hey. Right. Hey. Huh. Oh, my fault. I didn't mean to cut it short, but I'll, I'll definitely, definitely get Cam on again. We got our next guest coming up. And like I'm All right, guys. Cam, it's, it's my Cam. fault that well, it's my fault that I had to squeeze you in like this, but I'm, I'm going to get That's you okay. on with both of us here. TB pulled that Willis Reed. Nice it'd, be nice, it'd be nice to have both of you healthy and happy and be on the show with you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right, you we'll guys take care and have a great rest of the show. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Cam. That is former UK guard Cameron Mills. Hit the well-documented mm-hmm. shot heard around the world to beat Duke in 1998. TV, you've written about it many, many times. And, of course, everybody in the state of Kentucky uh, still loves to look back and reminisce about that shot. We got our next guest on the line, a man that I'm honored to know well, coming to us from Charlotte, North Carolina. Done everything there is to do in the world of sports, knows everybody in the world of sports. He is currently the sports media consultant for the John Boy and Billy Big Show, and he is none other than the multiple Emmy winner himself, Mr. Terry Hansen. Terry, I'm sorry you had to hold for a few minutes. How you doing? 
What a buildup! I enjoyed listening to Cam. That was that was fun. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, in my mind, uh, brought back a lot of memories. Hi, Terry. How are you, bud? Good. How are you doing? Tonight? Uh, fine, man. Good to talk to you guys. We got, we got a Terry-dominated section. Terry Brown, <laughs> Terry Hanson. Uh oh, look out, man! <laughs> it's a fantastic name. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm a Terrence. How about you? No, I'm actually Terry. It was my mother's maiden name, there so you go. I'm actually a Terry. Okay. So, oh, Vinny, how you doing, man? <laughs> good. I, I can't complain, sir. I'm doing good, and I'm just so excited to have you on and, and come out the bullpen and jump on our little show. I'm just happy well, to you've honored me to come on John Boy and Billy a few times and help me with my NCAA picks. Terry, he can do that. And uh, he's coming on our show, and we go into a, uh, a, a semi-national audience. So uh, happy to repay the favor. And, Vinny, I'm very happy uh, you guys are doing as well as you are on this podcast. We appreciate We're having fun and, and doing our best. And Terry, Terry Brown, when he says semi-national, he means pretty much everywhere. Our heart, the big show is on and on how many states and on how many how many affiliates. That semi-national, that was he was kind of underselling that a little bit, but Terry's on everywhere. <laughs> and um, you know they sometimes they make fun of him on the show, but they love his sports knowledge. And I mean just. Just tell everybody who may not know a little background about your sports mm-hmm. journey and the big show and everything, Terry. Well, I've been Just at it a long answer. time, guys. Uh, I was a college coach back in the 70s uh, in the Midwest where I'm from uh, in uh, in baseball and soccer, of all things, and parlayed that into going to the pros in soccer in the late 1970s and ironically ended up in Atlanta uh, running a soccer team for Ted Turner uh, in uh, in the late 1970, 78-79. And, uh, and, like, and like a lot of soccer teams, uh, ran that team out of town. And then I was rewarded uh, by being made the head of first TBS sports uh, for Ted Turner. So it was a, from coaching to front office and pro soccer to the head of a TV network in 1980. And Terry Brown, Terry Hanson is from your better half, Miss TV's neck of the woods. He's from East St. Louis, Illinois, just so you know, Terry Brown. Okay, okay. So you know not uh, to mess with me. No, I, 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 I do. <laughs> my, my wife has some stories. She went to SLU, so she's got some stories about East St. Louis. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they're all all bad ones, too. Yeah, my, my, my wife as well. Is, I have a couple daughters back in St. Louis, yeah. So very back here over Thanksgiving, which Vinny knew about. But, Vinny, back in the 80s with Turner, and I know one of the reasons you want me to come on the show and talk tonight was about the epic matchup that we put together. That was the first Louisville versus Kentucky basketball regular season matchup in over 60 years. And that happened in November of 1983. Well, I'm going back a while. But that was an epic matchup that we were putting TBS Sports on the map. When I got there, it was just the Braves and the Hawks, and my mission with a fellow by the name of Robert Wessler uh, was to, okay, <clears throat> let's take this puppy national and let's put some sports up here that will appeal to a national audience. And that's, that's definitely because you, I mean, behind the scenes and you kind of got the inner workings of it, uh, you know, a lot of things that, 
people don't even know were going on, you were right there when it took off initially. Like you say, the first yeah, I'm that old. I, you're right. I'm. That. No, <laughs> but no, no. what had happened was there was a. We had a football show, and Terry, you in Louisville must be familiar with my friend Paul Horning. Yes. Uh, we had a TV show called Football Saturday that we did from Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, and Paul was one of the one of the four hosts, along with Vinny's friend Bob Neal. Um, and we that was one of our first efforts. Then we got a nighttime college football series because you you guys are probably too young, but. Back in the back in the early '80s and the '70s, there was only one TV network doing one college football game per Saturday. That was ABC, and then it expanded to CBS one year, and then the cable the next, and we got the package. And that really kind of launched TBS Sports into some sort of a national prominence. That's awesome. I, I vaguely remember when the game because uh, we're getting kind of old, right, Vinny? But I remember the game being such a big deal because they hadn't played in forever. Well, you know uh, what happened, Terry, is that so it whet our appetite. And I've always been smart enough to hire people that were knew what they were doing. And Vinny talked about a couple <laughs> Emmys. That's because I had good people working for me that I was smart enough to hire. And I hired a fellow by the name of Russ Potts, who had been the um, athletic director uh, at Maryland and SMU. And we hired him as our TV consultant to help us schedule games because we had to move uh, afternoon games to nighttime. This had to be a nighttime football package. And Potts is the guy who said to me, how would you like to have the Georgetown versus Kentucky, excuse me, Virginia matchup in basketball, Samson versus Ewing? And I said, well, yeah. And, and, and Russ was intimately involved with John Thompson who was the key player in that dynamic. And so we put together what they called how many games of the century there have been now, Vinny? A couple hundred? But right. that was the game of the decade, Samson versus Ewing in 1982. And uh, we paid – the only epic game prior to that time was probably Alcindor versus Hayes in the Astrodome. And we researched right. how much that cost, and we went way, way out of bounds. And spent about six hundred thousand back in eighty three, eighty two to get that game, and then right thereafter, Terry's what you're talking about. It was the sixty five, uh, sixty one years before Kentucky played Louisville, and the way we got that game was pretty interesting because you know they didn't want to play each other. Um, what, when Dean Smith never wanted to play other teams in North Carolina here, so so if you play Louisville and you're Kentucky, I mean, what do you have to gain back? In those days, right. so Robert Wessler, my boss, had invented or started the NFL Today uh, at CBS with Irv Cross and Brent Musburger. And you remember that Phyllis George was—that was her first TV job. Yeah, former first lady. Yeah. So yeah, so we talked to Phyllis George, who kind of leaned on her husband a little bit, John Y. Brown. And uh, then we talked to Paul Horning, who leaned on Louisville a little bit. And then I got to meet a boyhood idol of mine, because I grew up in the St. Louis area. Uh, and Cliff Hagen had played for the St. Louis mm -hmm. Hawks. So it was me going to Cliff Hagen and Bill Olson, the athletic director at Louisville, and Denny Crum and Joe B. Hall were the coaches. And we put that game together in November of 1983. And incidentally, 
Kentucky won that game 65-44. to <laughs> That is unbelievable. I mean, it never gets old hearing you talk about it. And Terry, Terry Brown, I've, I've seen those images with my own eyes. I'll tell you that. But it never gets old, never gets old Terry Hanson, hearing you talk about that. It's just so intriguing. I mean, this, did you did you guys realize at the time, kind of the that you were setting a precedent, mm-hmm. that you were setting trends as far as television is concerned? I mean, had no idea. Now. No, wow. no idea. I mean, <clears throat> Ted Turner was ahead of the curve. We were blazing. We were making history and really didn't know it. But as basketball fans, you'll appreciate this. In the Virginia Georgetown game, we'd spent all this money, and the reason why we spent the last two hundred thousand was because Ted knew that CBS wanted the game. And I identified, with, along with Russ Potts' help, that the guy making the decision would be John Thompson. Nobody else. So we just told John, you know, CBS wanted to have it on a specific date, where they were going to have it, what time, and we just said to John, Coach, whenever you want to play it, wherever you want to play it, just give us the time. And then CBS put a bid in, and we outbid them for the game. But the afternoon of the game... Terry Holland called my room and he said, I've got some bad news for you. Ralph is not well. He is not feeling well. He has a bad case um, of, uh, let's just say, uh, stomach issues. And I said, Coach, for the money we spent, you got to go out and wear your brown uniforms. Uh, <laughs> we've got to have Ralph on the floor. Uh, so it was Virginia versus Georgetown, and Virginia won that game. Uh, Patrick was a sophomore. Uh, Ralph was a senior. And then the next season we went to that Louisville-Kentucky game with Hagan and Bill Olson making the deal with us. Um, and uh, and I looked up the box score for you guys in that game at Rupp Arena. It was a hard ticket. Jim Masters had 19 points. Melvin Turpin had 16. Kenny Walker had 13. And Sam Bowie had seven points. Wow. Talk about a long time ago, guys. Yeah. That's kind of the first names we remember. I mean, I remember Bowie and Turpin a little bit. Those are, you know, I don't know about you, TV. Well, yeah, I don't know about you, TV, but those are kind of the first teams where I kind of started being able to recall a little bit, you know, as a kid. Well, you know, I grew up a Louisville fan, so I was on the other side. Uh, of the rivalry for this one. So I remember, you know, the McCray brothers and, and Milt Wagner and those great, great teams from the uh, early to mid-'80s that Louisville had. Uh, but I just remember my dad, uh, he's a Louisville guy, just being ecstatic that the teams were actually going to play. Well, you know, we were, the- we were we were trumped a little bit the previous spring because they met each other uh, in in the first round of the NCAAs. Right. Took a right. little bit of the glimmer off the rose for us. And Louisville won that game. So kind of a grudge yeah. match. But but since Kentucky really didn't want to play, and Louisville won the game a lot more. Uh, so Joby Hall and Hagen were able to dictate the terms. And I think Rupp Arena, what they held a couple, 22, 23, whatever it held, I think Louisville had like 100 tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, we're going to have to put a applause track in for Louisville's crowd because, I mean, UK really didn't want to play, and you talk about a tough ticket. Those tickets were being scalped back in those days for a lot of money, and it was wow. an epic matchup, and uh, it was a thrill—a thrill to be a part of that. And then, um, 
And then some years later, I find myself in Charlotte working for a company named Raycom, and then John Boy and Billy, and it's been a pretty nice ride, guys. Absolutely. That is is fantastic because a lot of folks don't know all the behind the scenes to to get Kentucky and Louisville to play in anything. You know, the fact that they went all the years without playing in basketball and in football, uh, you you think now that it's a no-brainer, but at the time, you know, in the early 80s, it it wasn't. It absolutely was not a a no-brainer. Think back about the no-brainer, what I said earlier about think back all the – all the television we watch now with sports on the weekends, in college football in particular, there was one game on a Saturday and ABC had it, period. That was it. That's all you could watch in college football. And on Sunday mornings, Lindsey Nelson, uh, and Vinny, you wrote the Lindsey Nelson Awards a couple of years ago with Bob Neal when he got the award, and Paul Horning did a an abbreviated replay where they would where they would – Take it down to an hour, and not and not show the huddles. That was the only football you saw on television. And then suddenly, wow, it breaks open with cable, and uh, look at what we got today. I mean, there's so much you get bored almost. Right, right. It, whatever your niche is, it's out there. It is. You can watch about anything, and I can. Uh, and I go online and listen to a show like this one. You guys, uh, I, right. I really enjoy uh, listening to you guys. I followed Vinny's career. I helped him a little bit get started. Uh, Terry, I know what you've done. So you guys uh, are having a good time, and hopefully you have a pretty good audience following you. I, I think so. We've got some pretty uh, devoted listeners uh, since we started this back in May. Is that right, Vinny? Huh? May? Yeah, yeah, it was May. And then we relaunched what, about a month ago. Yeah, yeah. So we've got some diehards. So we're trying to build it. Well, hello to all of them, your diehards, and uh, and I'm happy that I could join you guys tonight. It's been fun. Vinny, you uh, make sure you uh, stay in touch with me and come back on John Boy and Billy sometime. I sure will. And just to let let Terry Brown know, we uh, we're batting 500 since we've been putting our heads together doing the brackets. 2011. Uh, we picked Ohio State to win that year. Connecticut won. 2012, we picked Kentucky. That turned to me right. 2013, you know, hated to do it, but we both picked Louisville. And that turned out to be the case. Last year, uh, Utah again being the winner, and we went with Florida. But two out of the four years we've been doing our bracket show on the Double and the Big Show, we ended up with the right champion. So that's not too bad, I don't think. Terry, when he says we put our heads together, that means he does my brackets. <laughs> he does my brackets, and I give him credit on air all the time, and he's been on our show a few times. And uh, He's a friend. Talk about basketball. Uh, Vinny's become a friend of Jackie Curry. Yes, that Curry. Uh, it's Dell's sister, and she's the aunt who used to babysit for Stephen. And uh, here in Charlotte, I watched Stephen Curry grow up. And uh, watched him the other night enter a 16-game winning streak uh, in in uh, Memphis just last night, I think it was. Yeah. And we watched him grow up and practice around here. And uh, and I live up uh, north of Charlotte near Davidson and watched him play college basketball. And uh, Jackie Curry, Dell's sister, is our producer, and she uh, she she was Vinny's friend before she was mine, uh, before I was Vinny's friend, in fact. So that's how I got to know him, and 
the Curry name in Charlotte's become a very famous one because of Dell, but now even more now because of Stefan. Boy, can, can he play? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I love the game. Well, there's a case of a guy <clears throat> who out of college wanted to go to Virginia Tech where his daddy went. And Seth Greenberg didn't want him, if you can believe this. So he went to Davidson. Had he gone to an ACC school or a bigger school, he just sat on the bench. So he goes to Davidson, able to play as a freshman. And look at now. I mean, I thought he would, you know, when he got out of Davidson that last couple of years, how well he did. I thought, well, you know, he he can maybe be an NBA player. But but the, the what he's ascended to has just been remarkable. Mm-hmm. And it's been the announcers the other night saying because – he loves the game and he works hard. And uh, watching him come through our studios uh, when he was even in elementary school to now has been quite a quite a venture to follow. And he's one of the leading candidates for the MVP this year. I mean, he could very well win that if you know continues the way he's going so far. I tell you, you know, his game now is just so much different than it was at Davidson and. And I, I, I'm amazed, and I, 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 as you know, Vinny, I follow the business side of sports as well. His jersey in the NBA uh, is number two behind LeBron James. That's remarkable. Unbelievable. Playing on the West Coast team, and, yeah, that's unbelievable. Okay, I got to ask you before, you, before you go, before you go, Terry, I got to ask you real quick. All right. it's not baseball time yet. I gotta ask you just a couple of questions about your St. Louis Cardinals and your Alabama Crimson Tide. I just want to squeeze them in real quick before okay. we go. We're talking with Terry, with Terry Hanson, of course, from the Dumb Book and Billy Big Show. He's on with us right now on Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry. Being from St. Louis, a huge Cardinals fan, and I think uh, Terry Brown, your family, your wife, and father-in-law, I think they're big Cardinals fans too, if I'm not mistaken, right? Well, uh, she is, but she's from Cincinnati, so her her dad is a diehard Reds fan. Whoops. Okay, okay. Whoops. 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 Don't tell your father-in-law that I cussed him like that, called him a Cardinals fan. Terry <laughs> <laughs> Hansen, um, your Cardinals and my Braves worked out a trade a few weeks ago. We sent a few emails back and forth about it. Um of course, they lost the young outfield prospect they had, the right fielder. I'm talking about the Cardinals. And then a few weeks later, they worked a trade between uh, Cardinals and the Braves. Shelby Miller coming to Atlanta and Jason Hayward going to St. Louis. Those being the two big names in the swap. And because some complimentary players filling in as well. So what did you think? Yeah, it was inspired by that tragedy. Oscar Tavares of only a, a young man killed in a car crash and Hayward, I've always liked Hayward. I, you know, my second most favorite team is the Braves because I work there, um, mm. and so I watch them all the time as well as the Cardinals. And Jason Hayward only had one more year, uh, then he's going to become a free agent, and the Cardinals had a spot they had to fill. Braves have been able to sign Nick Markakis to take, take take away Hayward's place. And I think the Atlanta fans, Shelby Miller is a work in progress. He's still a youngster. He throws hard. And I think Hayward will be a good Cardinal. Maybe he'll like St. Louis and want to sign after this year. Cardinal uh, Braves have filled that spot with Marquecas. And Shelby Miller is a big-time pitcher. If he can if he can learn how to throw that second pitch for a strike, 
he's a good raw bone, hard throwing youngster from Texas. And then you remember a couple of years ago, it doesn't get much better than being a Cardinals fan and an Alabama fan because I'm an Alabama fan, Terry, by proxy from my daughter went to school there and her husband. But the Cardinals won the World Series uh, in baseball and Alabama won the national championship in football in one year. And I said to Vinny, I need to retire as a fan. <laughs> I had championships in a row. Exactly. It doesn't get much better than that. It doesn't. And I'm, you know, I'm pulling for them. I, I don't. I don't know if they're one of the best four teams. I, this four-team playoff uh, is going to be interesting. I think you're going to have to expand it to eight before it's all over. But uh, right now, Alabama and Ohio State will be an interesting game. I don't. You know, who knows what's going to happen? But with my, you know, regional prejudice, I'd love to see a Alabama-Florida State national championship game. I'll take we're that. In the same boat. We're in that same boat. We made our predictions last week, and we end up both picking that as well. Did you? Back to the – yeah. And I'm picking Alabama to find a way somehow to, to knock off Florida State. Uh, back to uh, the Braves, just to finish up on the Braves side, I think, like you said, I'm 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 happy to see Mill. I'm going to miss Jason Hayward. It's going to be weird seeing him in that Cardinal red. It is. But Atlanta's Atlanta's rotation at the beginning of last season was decimated. You had you had forty percent of the rotation go down with Tommy John, you know, Chris Medlin. Yep. All those guys were just having arm issues. Uh, Urban Santana, they were able to sign him as what they thought would be like a fifth starter. He ended up being pretty much you know the number one guy in the rotation. He just moved on and signed with the Twins. Yeah. So they're needing pitching again. So Shelby Miller. Should hopefully be able to step in and, and you know pitch a lot of innings and fill a void because you know the Braves and pitching that's synonymous. So you know, well, it's back in the day when they had Smoltz and those guys, but this is you're going to see a new if they can do what the Cardinals have done, which is change the complexion of that club while not having suffering at the major league level. But there's a new sheriff in town now with John Hart, the new uh, the new general manager, and they're going to make some moves. Uh, uh, Freddie's done a pretty good job on the bench, but it's tough to replace Bobby Cox. He's the, right. He was the master. And uh, they're always going to be a good competitive team, but they're going to have to change a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure the Upton trades were the smartest things they've ever done. They have a great shortstop in Simmons. Uh, but, right. you know, they'll, they'll do well. They always do well. Yes, they do. And on the St. Louis note for both of y'all, I've, I've told you many times, T.H., when I get out there, I'm going to Sweetie Pies. Now, Terry Brown, I don't know if you – have you been out there to eat when you go to St. Louis? Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we've hit, hit all those places. Ted Drew's, I'm all definitely, those places. I'm definitely going to hit that when I go. I told Terry Hanson countless times, that's on my to-do list when I go to St. Louis. I've only been there one time as a kid at the airport. We were flying out to California to visit my dad's brother. And we had a layover there, so I haven't, you know, gotten to see the city as an adult or anything like that. But um, that's my to-do list. It's well, I know Oprah and... on the Oprah Network they have a they have a reality show with Sweetie Pies. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, and yeah, and, and, and the lady yeah. who runs that store or that shop, being from East St. Louis, you know, I'm familiar with Ike and Tina Turner. They lived in East St. Louis. And uh, and a lady who runs Sweetie Pies, so she was one of the backup singers there for Ike and Tina. So that's that that's how that went down. Small world, small world. Lots of knowledge here tonight. 
Terry, good talking <laughs> to you and meeting you, man. And Vinny, you stay in touch, okay? Hey, thank I'll you so much for coming Terry. on, Terry. Hey, and tell Patty hello and all the grandkids and the rest of the family for it, Terry. I appreciate it, pal. See you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks again. That's my guy, Terry Hanson, TB. Man, he's, he's unbelievable. Going out of his way just to help me with writing and let, you know, Katie and I, the lovely Miss Hardy, my better half, went down to the John Boy Billy Studios and got to hang out and meet him and watch him do a live show and take the show. And I mean, he's a great guy. And he's known everybody. He's done everything. I mean, I mean, he's just something else. And I'm just so excited he was able to come on and, and talk St. Louis and talk, you know, dream game with us. Unbelievable having Terry on. Yeah, and, and I'm glad he was on talking about that because I was kind of touched on with him. Some of the younger folks don't realize that, you know, when you and I were coming up, Louisville and Kentucky weren't playing in anything. I mean, it was such a foreign concept to get them to play, you know, even though they were both, you know, very, very good uh, teams. Uh, I, I just don't think they understand just how difficult. Uh, it was, and I think that's what hurts the rivalry nationally is because there's that huge gap of uh, of times when they didn't play. You know, there's no black and white games or, you know, games with Afros where you can look at the footage like you can with Duke in North Carolina. Uh, but, you know, for my money, I believe it's every bit mm-hmm. as intense as that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and just to hear him talk about it, you know, just – like I said on the air when he was on, and I'm in it. I mean, he never gets old. You know, he talks behind the scenes, you know, his interactions with Joe B and Denny, the same thing with his interactions with John Thompson. You know, he was right there in the middle getting all of this started. And, you know, like you said, the way things are today is because of what, you know, him and Ted Turner and all those guys were doing, just getting television and, and sports in the home. You know, they were – right there on the ground floor getting all this. So the way we see the sports, the lore now, it, it all kind of started back there, you know, with those big games. I mean, everybody wanted to see Patrick Ewing and Ralph Sampson, you know, and that was, it didn't, like, like you said, it didn't happen all the time. We see it, like you said, I mean, every week, every day. We got now, you know, to start the college basketball season, 24 hours of games, men's games, Team that team, East Coast, West Coast, big conference, small conference, mid major, you know, mid major teams, the the whole bit, you know, we got all of that now, but it wasn't always the case, and it's it's so interesting hearing him, you know, talk and think back and reminisce on how that was and share that. Right, and and he touched on something else as well, uh, talking about uh, Steph Curry, you know, going to Davidson. You know, 20 years ago, he goes to Davidson, even, you know, though he's Dale Curry's son, and nobody hears about him. Playing at Davidson, he gets a chance to be on TV, you know, make that deep run, and, you know, you don't have to, you know, these guys don't have to go to Kentucky to make it to the league. You don't have to go to the North Carolinas or UCLA's. You know, you can go to a small school, and you're still going to be on national TV two to three times a year. I mean, that's, that's yeah, how the world we're living in right now. Exactly. And they went to the – they made an Elite Eight run, and they were a hair mm-hmm. with the Final Four. 
Um, yeah. George, yeah. I wonder if Georgetown that beat them. They gave them all they wanted. I, I forget who put them out. No, they beat Georgetown. I forget who knocked them out. Was it Kansas? It might have been. Was it Kansas? They, they upset in Georgetown. That was one of the teams on, along the way. It might have been a big-time power like a Kansas. But, you know, they were something to deal with with Steph on that team. Yeah, they were something else. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the sports landscape, it's changed. I remember the big uproar when Fox got the NFL package and put the score in the upper right-hand corner where you knew where that was. I mean, you look at some of those classic games, and there's no information you know, on the screen. But now you just you know, almost too much, but it's how things change. It's how things progress. I was watching uh... – I felt I went on. I don't. I won't call it a soapbox like you and Michelle do. I went on a mini Heisman rant because I'm not a big Heisman watcher. I don't know the last time I watched the Heisman presentation. You know, I always check my phone or check SportsCenter to see who the winner is. I talked about Mary Young winning, but I'm not a guy that really watches it. Uh, but as soon as it went off, I tuned in and watched the U part two, thirty for thirty. When they were flashing back and showing. Just, you know, sports center graphics <laughs> what, that look brand new just a few years ago, how old they look now. I'm like, man, I remember graphic in. And now look at yeah. it. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. It, it, it is. And and those ESPN 30 for 30s are fantastic. The U Part 2 was, was really, really good up there with, uh, you know, some of the others that they've had. Uh, even if the subject isn't something I'm too concerned about, they're always – a very, very good watch. I'm going to be purchasing that box set. There's so many that I've missed. I, when when they were promoting and, uh, you know, teasing, you know, all the 30s and 30s that were coming out, I was like, I'm going to miss one of these. And I started out good, you know, watching them. Of course, things come up or you can get recorded or, you know, they sneak a few by you. Before you know it, you miss quite a few. But, uh, yeah, that box set, I'm going to have to be getting that and, you know, catching up on something I missed and rewatching something I've seen because, you know, when they come on, even if I've seen them, I can sit there and watch it, you know, as if I had to you know, put right in and just, you know, watch the whole thing. The very first one, I mean, the one that stands out was because we were so young, the one on Lynn Bias, because that dude was a beast. I mean, we knew that. We really didn't because, you know, we were like, seven and eight when he was at Maryland. But, I mean, that move, and I know you've been a Lakers fan, wouldn't want to hear it, but if, if he was able to go to Boston and play, I think the transition from Larry Bird to Bias is smooth, and the Celtics don't ever just fall off the face of the earth like they did for those few years. And then, of course, you had the Reggie Lewis thing, the tragically, you know, him tragically passing away as well. But, if, you know, if Bias is there and has the career that everybody thinks he has, the Celtics, you know, stay right there competitive, I think, you know, for all those years that they were struggling. Right, right. It When you see those things in context and you say, wow, um, you know, had he not overdosed or, you know, or, or even that, uh, you know, that whole the Benji documentary they had in Chicago, uh, talking about that one, that one was a, was a good one. So, yeah. Uh, yes. uh, so that's just I watch him because it's 
you know, you get that inside story. The one on uh, Iverson was good. The, the one on um, Ricky Williams was was good. So uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy them, thoroughly. Yeah, and like you said, even if you got familiar with, and like the uh, the two brothers that played soccer, I can't think of their names, uh, but it was down in Columbia, the whole thing with how they rose to prominence and, you know, the drugs were, you know, the main owner and drugs and they got him and how that whole thing went down. I, that was, I was riveted and, you know, locked into that one. And I'm, you know, not a huge international soccer guy, but I, and uh, it was awesome. Um, and I was, I didn't know anything about, you know, Ben Wilson. That was just, I was too young, didn't know what happened, the whole thing up there in Chicago. I watched that one as well and was locked in and glued to it. So, I mean, I learned something watching that one. That was great. Well, and, and just R. Kelly showing up randomly as, as being, you know, talking with Nick Anderson and some of those other guys, like, what is he, you know, not realizing that he was a pretty decent baller. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, there's so many little tidbits of knowledge that you don't even know. You, you know, you pick up, like, like you said, you had a blow when you, when you watch those. <laughs> or I do, anyway. Hey, man, I gotta talk, we got to talk about your voice since, uh, since you're on with us. And uh, as we mentioned to the listeners, we're going to mess up next week. So we're going to have one of our episodes, one of our past episodes up for next week's show. We'll be back live again probably in two weeks. Um, Got to talk about your boy Kobe because, you know, he surpassed MJ on the scoring list. In a win, you know, they beat the Spurs, and he almost got, you know, to Jordan Mark then. The next game in Minnesota, he passed him, and the Lakers won that game as well, so. Oh, it's a it's a huge accomplishment. I mean, I understand Kobe rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but uh, you know, for longevity and just for sheer numbers, uh, you know, moving to third that's a that's a huge accomplishment. You know, I'm not gonna go out on the bandwagon and say you know he's better than Jordan, as good as. I think at some point we just need to appreciate these guys while we're watching them, instead of all the comparisons. So uh, I was glad he got the mark. Uh, you know, I don't know if he'll be able to catch Kareem. I, I doubt that. But, uh, you know, being the, the high-scoring guard in NBA history is not a bad thing to have on your resume. Not at all. Not at all. And you've been a Lakers fan. You, you'd be, uh, you know, more knowledgeable on this than me. And for those listening, we're about to lose the live feed at 8 o'clock. Uh, you can call us at 845-277-9373 to catch a few minutes that we do go over. Or if not, you can catch the podcast, which will be available you know, for minutes after the show. But you being a Lakers fan, the fact that he passed Jordan when they were playing the Minnesota Timberwolves, and of course the Lakers started out in Minneapolis, does that, you know, add a little extra to it, just kind of a full circle irony thing that, you know, kind of weigh in or factor in for you Lakers fans? Yeah, it was, it was nice symmetry because being a Lakers fan, it's a, it's a nod, you know, to where they came from with uh, with Mike and so that's not uh, – uh, so that wasn't lost on me. But I think the crowd, you know, did a good uh, – gave a good reaction, you know, 
uh, his fellow teammates and, and everything. And, uh, you know, I saw the, the tweets from LeBron and some of the other guys out there. I mean, you have to tip your hat, even if you don't like him. You know, and he's notoriously, you know, maybe he shoots too much or whatnot. But, uh, hey, I mean, the numbers are the numbers. You can't really argue with that. That's for sure. That's for sure. And what I have thought, um, yeah, it was to me when they stopped the game. You know, he he passed Jordan from the free throw line, which you know, even if it had been you know a jumper or a layup or a dunk, I'd say they probably still would have had to pause, no matter how he got the basket. But he was at the line, so he automatically got the dead ball situation. It reminded me of uh, kind of when Mark McGuire, you know. Hit the home run there to break Roger Maris's record, 61. When he hit 62 back in 98, I think. Yeah. Uh, they were playing the Cubs, and you know Mark Grace, you know, takes his hat off, and there at first base gives him a handshake as he's running around the bases. McGuire almost misses first base because he's kind of just overwhelmed by what happened. But you got the other team, you know, who's trying their best to beat you. They're still able to step back and, you know, realize what's going on. You know, this kind of moment is bigger than the actual game we're playing in right now. You know, you had the Cubs fans applauding, those players applauding, and, of course, Cubs and Cardinals hate each other like no other. But yet to see that happen, similarly with, you know, Corey Brewer and all the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves players coming up and giving them a, a high five or a handshake, he went over and chipped, flipped Saunders' hand before going over and getting a long hug from Byron Scott. Uh, at the the trainer, Gary Vee, that's been y'all's trainer for our whole life. Is that his name? Yeah, he's been the trainer uh, since yeah. way back in the Showtime days. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he was able to, you know, get his respect from the Timberwolves before he went over and, you know, enjoyed the moment for a minute with Byron Scott and all the rest of the guys. So it was nice to see that. For the so I yeah, sometimes it, it's, it's, those moments are just bigger than, than the, the games. Yes, and that was one of those times for sure. Um, as far as man, I, it, it pains me to ask you, but we got you know we, we always talk about our Cowboys and Niners, and we had kind of a, a symmetry going on with the schedule and the fact that we both played, you know, Thursday Thanksgiving division rival that you're trailing at home. Both teams got beat down. Then you had another game. Uh, and then you play those same teams again. Niners played Seattle, played Oakland, played Seattle. Dallas played Philadelphia, played Chicago, and then they played Philadelphia. Both times our teams were at home the first time, but then had to go on the road and play them again two weeks later. And, I mean, you know, we joked about not talking NFL last week after the Raiders game. You know, it didn't turn out too well again for the Niners. And no, they Dallas didn't have the win either. But it was had to be tough watching them get swept by Seattle in the same series. Yeah, uh this season is, is totally uh I, I don't want to say a waste, but uh a lot of things went wrong. There's gonna have to be some changes. Uh you know, in the off season, I don't know if Harbaugh is going to Michigan or what that is, but with the players they have, even though they had some injuries, you're, you're expecting better than a 500, a 500 season. So, uh, I mean, Kaepernick, he, he's got to get it. 
the organization rolled the dice on on him being the man, and he's got to produce. So there's going to be some changes in the off season. So, um, you know, we'll see. I saw you tweeting at the owner from New York that you would kind of like to see Harbaugh remain in San Francisco. Do you get the feeling that Harbaugh still wants to be in San Francisco, or is this is he kind of leaving and leaving his heart in San Francisco to use old Bobby Bowman's song and none of the kids listening to anything about? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean he may end up in Michigan. My own, my I love Harbaugh as a coach, and I love his fiery personality. But my only concern has been, you know, he's at a ten all the time. Can you be at a ten all the time before the players? Start to tune you out, and that was always my concern. I don't, I don't know if that's the case, but uh, you know, I, I, that, that's the way it kind of looks. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll be keeping our eye on that. Um, Dallas surprised me. I'm not gonna lie. You know, I, this whole season, I haven't seen my expectations. I wasn't expecting a lot. Coming to the end of the season, and really, I had no reason to. They had to go out and really show that, and you know, because last year ended with another eight million year, and this year on paper it's looking even bleaker. Uh, but yeah, that said, at ten and four, and just went to Philadelphia, and you know, got a payback win with first place on one in the NFC East. Uh, so now they finish up. You know, they have Colts at home, and then they go to Washington. Seven and zero on the road, which is just I mean, unbelievable. Three and four at home. I wish the coach game was in Indianapolis, where they just seem to have that extra focus on the road. You know, after they got the ninth win, that ensured that worst nine and seven season. That was like, hey, that's that's progress. We've been eight and eight for you know year after year after year. Now they've got the ten wins. They've got a chance for twelve. You know, it can be ten and six. It can be twelve and four, or anything in between. What happened? Uh, Darren Woodson, former Cowboy, was picking them all week to meet the but yet he still picked Philadelphia to win the division, and that could very well happen. The Eagles have the Redskins done to finish up. Well, they might come out and play some pride and you know try to play spoiler, but strength schedule wise, they got a little bit easier road to Dallas. So they could go two and zero. In Dallas, you know, stuff in Tulsa, go one and one, or something like that. So he, that very well could play out until he's still winning the division. But, you know, I'm happy with 10 and 4. Uh, a 10 win season based on what, you know, we've had to suffer through the past three years is an improvement. So hopefully it will be an 11 and 12 win season, and we'll see how it goes, you know, these last two weeks. Um, so we're not going to be on next week. You want to throw out your kind of prediction for what you think will happen against UCLA and Louisville? Because those two games will be played by Kentucky for the slow run at this time. I think they win both. I think 14 uh, over UCLA. And I think. Uh, at Louisville, I think it's going to be eight-point win. I think it'll be the first game where we don't uh, win by double digits, but I still think they win. Yeah. And it's kind of like 
like when Cameron Mill first came on, a lot of the shine has kind of come off of the UCLA game because they've gotten off to a slow start. And same thing in their football. Their football team was ranked high, and, you know, they barely beat Memphis and struggled with all these teams and then lost games that they weren't projected to lose. Same thing has happened with them in basketball. Still, too, uh, tradition rich big name teams, but uh, unless they play a lot better than they have been, you know, Kentucky looks to to have a fairly easy time with the Bruins. You know, that little game, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be something else. The first true road game, we're going to see how the freshman responds. Uh, have to deal with the, the press and the pressure and the grabbing and the clutching and physical play in the backcourt and then bringing the ball up. Uh, particularly, Euless will be his first time dealing with it. You know, Harrison Hawkins was playing them last year twice. Uh, but we'll see how they respond. The towns and Wild and all the young guys in that environment for the first time. Uh, you know, Kentucky's got a little number. They've had this number for a while, and you want to never see that continue. Uh, I'd say a six-point win for Kentucky, uh, but it'll definitely be when they get done. They'll know they want to play the game, and it will be a battle all the way in the most knockdown, dragout game they want to play thus far in the season. But I'll say they'll leave the young center with a six-point win. Uh, we'll see how it all plays out as we are back in two weeks. So that'll be, what, 31st? Yeah, skip the 24th, back yes. on the 31st? Yes. Back on the, we have a few bowl games on, I'm sure, so that we can have them talking about as we're on the air. Be recapping the Kentucky games. It'll be bowl week, football games all over the place. And we'll be looking forward to the New Year's Day games coming on that Thursday, January the 1st. But, man, we had another good show. I'm just first and foremost glad you're feeling better. Feeling down, man. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm back up and back up and going. Hey, that's good to hear. You pulled a Willis Reed and jumped on the show with us tonight anyway. Yeah. We had Chris Caldwell, uh, the author of the golf book, the legend of Joe Golfer, a salute to the regular player. He was bringing a lot of good insight. It was cool. We had never talked golf on the show, so uh, that was the first for us. Uh, our number one fan out there, Snapping Golfer. And I was thinking about her when uh, Chris and other people were reaching out to be on the show uh, initially. And once again, shout out to RadioGuestList.com. We put our show information on that website, and it just you know puts us out in front of more people who, hey, if they like what our show looks like, they can email us or call us and say, hey, we'd like to come on your show. And that's what happened. That's how Chris was on with us tonight. They sent an email and said, we'd like to come on your show. We're, we're kind of a little bit out of the box from what you normally talk about, but, you know, they read what our topics usually are. Uh, but they still wanted to come on. So we appreciate Chris for coming on. Uh, Got the copies of his book coming to us. It, uh, it's a good read. I don't get to play a lot of golf. Got two little boys, like I told him. I have fun every time I do. I'm very, but I enjoy playing it. Uh, and I know down the road I probably play even more than I do now. Um, so hearing tips that are formulated especially for an average Joe or even a novice 
below average junk like myself. But uh, will be definitely some good reading, some good knowledge. Are you a big golf guy? Do you play a lot? Do you I, like it I I have not gotten into golf, but uh, you know I play basketball every week on on Thursdays now, and and I'm thinking I need to I need to try something else. My basketball game is kind of is is kind of <laughs> is, is deteriorating a little bit, so I need to try something a little uh, less impact. <laughs> I don't get to play as much basketball as I want. I was going to shoot a little bit here and there. I definitely not want to give it up. But uh, with my late father-in-law, we went and played a little nine-hole course. My wife and I, we had been married very long at all. But it was Myself, my late father-in-law, and a couple of his friends, and we had a ball. Um, so just kind of learning. He would give a lot of tips. So he played for years and years. So, you know, stance and keeping your head down and, you know, all those things. And just little bitty nuggets were very, very helpful. So I definitely want to play a little bit more. Definitely get the boys a little bit bigger and maybe we'll mess around and get a driving range and things like that. Uh, in the future. So we enjoyed having Chris on to talk about his book, uh, The Legend of Joe Goffer, Salute to the Regular Player. Of course, you know, Cameron Mills on for the second time with us. Appreciate him joining us. The next time we get him on, we'll both be here full strength. Each time, you know, know, we're both called in and been there, so we'll both be rolling. Maybe get him on later on in the season. Then, of course, Terry Hanson is our final guest bringing knowledge and perspectives to the dream game and how that thing was initially put in and launched and how they got it off the ground uh, back in the days of getting television on TV, getting sports and big-time college basketball games on television. I mean, it was, it was just three great interviews. Yeah, we definitely thank everybody for listening and have a safe and, and happy Christmas and Hanukkah and, and everything. So all for two weeks, and then we'll be back at it. We'll see you all in. Hey, continue to rest well tonight. Feel better tomorrow. And uh, when you are out there traveling now, that be safe. And we'll holler at everybody in two weeks. Our best of next week. So tune in and check that out. And if you heard it before, that's fine. It'll be a fun show that we'll have queued up for you, and then we'll see you in two weeks, everybody. Thank you again for listening. Talk to you all later.